Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars. Cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. enjoying that and, and that theme music means only one thing that at just after eight o'clock this is midweek motorsport but not as you have known it for the other 47 episodes this year uh, this is our awards show this is our show of the year and that's why we're playing this music hello there um, and uh, thank you for joining us live on a very busy Wednesday night let me trail ahead straight away after this short 10 o'clock tonight a very special inside story as we go behind the scenes with the new McLaren Senna we were given a private tour of the car and talked to Andy Palmer who's the man at the head of uh, McLaren Automotive Ultimate Series and we'll be talking to him uh, we were talking to him earlier this week and that show airs straight after this. Up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray, who has set the dress code for tonight, Tim. Indeed I have. Uh, the dress code is anything but black tie, ball gowns and cocktail dresses. That's uh, not what you said. You said anything but black tie for men, anything but ball gowns and cocktail dresses for ladies. So I, I am now in a beautiful cocktail dress. Well... Yes, you do look divine in it. I do. Um, I-, I think this purple with you, sparkles is well, my colour. You look like the drag queen divine, to be honest. <laughs> Le casual fall, always my favourite. Uh... I did mean that uh, nobody should be wearing ball gowns or uh, cocktail dresses or black tie. And, and, uh, and, and let's just re- let's just remind our listeners. There is one listener uh, on the Facebook collective, Midland right. Sport Listeners Collective on Facebook, who uh, is listening naked. Excellent. Well, let's uh, just remind ourselves. Um, you know, although this is Vera Wang, you know, I don't wear Vera Wang. Vera Wang wears me. That's what I like to see. What are you wearing tonight, Nick Damon? Nick, uh, I have on. I have a very uh, fetching uh, twin set on. Um, I've oh, gone for and tweed, pearls. I, well, no, I've gone for tweed, but I genuinely uh, have a Bucks fizz in my hand. Yeah. I've got an orange martini in my hand. There we are. You see? I, I actually haven't drink for I've, hours. I decided to stop drinking early. <laughs> so, I, as I'm sure, very few of my nominees will win. But I'm, I'm more confident about one after Sunday. Are you? 
Yeah. I, I should point out at this point that voting is now closed. Is it? There should be some sound effect for that, but voting is now closed. For everything? For everything. Oh, that's uh, we've, we've normally kept it open through the show, haven't we? Normally, but not tonight. Okay. All right, fine. Is that, is that in case Pricewaterhouse declare the wrong winner? <laughs> Very good. Very good. So tonight is the uh, awards show, our Man of the Year show, and... Uh, However, we still have an, a newsworthy midweek motorsport uh, yes. with plenty going on. Marshall uh, Pruitt joining us from racer.com in about 20, 25 minutes. Uh, we've got Grim Goodwin out of dailysportscar.com. We've got Shea Adams going to be joining us as well. Uh, enjoyed the little bit of back and forth with Shea and uh, Marshall that we had uh, last week. We've only got Nick uh, for a part of the first hour because he's got a family function on at his house at the moment. Is that why he's wearing the twin set? Is that why you're wearing the twin set? Yes. Why I've got the Bucks Fizz though. Uh, Okay. Uh, Is it Bucks Fizz with uh, champagne or with Prosecco? Tell the truth. It is Prosecco. It yeah. is Prosecco. But it's it's not. It's actually a branded uh, orange juice and not some something like from wait from Tesco or anything. A branded orange juice, but Prosecco. Why didn't you splash mm. on the on? The, and it just doesn't matter. Because a lot of it. I tell you why. Because a lot of it is going to be drunk by students. Ah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Tim, I was a... wondering where you were going with that question, John. I thought you were going to say, "Is it the Bucks Fizz with David Van Day?" David Van Day was never in Bucks Fizz. He was in Dollar. He no, was, but then he brought bizarre. the naming rights to Bucks like, Fizz. Have you brought this up? Um, my Ash, as you know very well, John, who's currently wearing your face, actually. Ash's girlfriend, her best friend, is in one of, one of the many versions of Bucks Fizz at the moment. No way. <laughs> David Van Der, um, I... He was dollar. I, I was the same with Theresa Bazaar, yes. Yes. Oh, Google David Van Day's Bucks Fizz. Really? Massive legal row. Um, I once had my hair done in the same North London hairdressers as, as Dave. I mean, that doesn't matter. Uh, on, a pa- on a packed program tonight. On a packed program tonight. Move on. On a packed program tonight, we have what, Tim? Uh, we have some of the usual features, but we're also announcing the winners in all eight categories of uh, right. our awards. Right. And uh, we're just waiting for the entry uh, for the votes to be counted on those. Okay. Excellent. Uh, and are we going to start with some news then? Uh, yes, we will start with some news, and I will play the news jingle. Okay, that that's fine. You see the midweek motorsport uh, series twelve, episode forty-eight. It's the last episode of midweek motorsport this year, and here's the news. I did time. All the latest <laughs> motorsport news from around the world. Midweek motorsport. Actually, Tim, I forgot to ask, have we got festive, uh, are our voiceovers in festive mood tonight? Well, that one wasn't, was she? No, no, not at all. A bit disappointed with that. Anyway, what's our top story tonight? You've shuffled your papers, it could be anything. Uh, We're going to start with some single-seaters. Right. Uh, He didn't say hooray there because he didn't say Formula 1. It's not Formula 1, no. No, This is a a single-seater championship that's below Formula 1. F2? Below Formula 2. GP3. Below GP3. F4. It's the German ADAC Formal (laughs) Fear. It's ADAC, by the way, not ADAC. I call it ADAC, and nobody apart from you ever corrects me, so I think that's fine. Okay. 
Uh, that would be like calling the RAC Rack Rack or the WEC 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 which we do well I don't because it's WEC or the FIA FIA yes anyway move on uh, so they've announced their calendar today a long show to this. that would make a that would make an FIA tribunal fiat <laughs> what would it make the uh, FIA women in motorsport council um, uh, full of rows because people on it are very supportive women motor racing drivers council uh, that would be uh, fear wimp <laughs> yes <laughs> but let's not go there either um, I, I, I forgot to do any parish notices tonight but uh, Cam Welsh is listening for the first time in his new GMC 2018 terrain and uh, Sam Pierce is listening, David Tubruz is listening, Simon Hoff is listening and getting the dinner jacket on ready and has passed on the PDFs to Dan, our sticker man, uh, at Stick It Up For Le Mans. And the Powered By Handy stickers are going to be added to the portfolio of the new stickers. And with any luck, if I get time tomorrow, I will be putting the new decals on the mighty Cherokee. Chris Humphreys is tuned in tonight. Sarah Rigby tuned in tonight, listening uh, in, in the car. Uh, and uh, Alessandra Orkin isn't listening in tonight. It's his Christmas party. I bet he isn't mm. singing, really. Uh, AFA's for Chris Suku as well. He's uh, on the way to uh, Munchen uh, for uh, a, a Christmas uh, event as well. And everybody else who knows me. Uh, and I think she had Can I say like someone? Well. Yes, you may. As I heard it, Elias Scaff. Right. Elias, who, who waved me across at the pit lane uh, in the Gulf 12 hours. And I thought, oh dear, what have I done wrong? And he said, it is you. You are from racing. You say hooray. I went, yes, I do. Oh, I love you, he said. I thought, well, that's fine. Well, I'll take that. Did, did, did he get you to say hooray into his phone to make it into his ringtone? We did, we did a bit of selfie and everything else. Yeah, that was very. It was very nice of him because it was. It was. Uh, it was. It was a great event and it was good to see. You can see that we we are definitely permeating every part of the world. Uh, what is the most bizarre thing that a listener has asked you to be careful with this? Has asked you to do for them because my most bizarre thing is someone has come up to me and said, "Can you record the commentary?" for my wife walking down the aisle in three weeks' time, and we will play it out at the church, and they did. I had I did a, a live proposal on a live stream. Excellent. And she said Excellent. yes. Excellent. So okay. My, my um, marmalade martinis are going down very well tonight. Uh, so the top story is single-seater news, uh, ADSA Formula Via, and it is what? They've announced their calendar. I already told you that. Right, okay. And it's it's what does it look like? Uh, it's well, it's got a number of events at different circuits around Germany, starting in Oschersleben. Right. Uh, and pretty much like a calendar, really. Excellent. It has dates on one side, one column, and then venues uh, on another column. I seem to have Tim's script here, so I'm going to ask Tim who else has uh, had their calendar verified by uh, the FIA today. Uh, that would be the 24-hour series. Are oh, we not doing this backwards? I'm sorry, it, it's just come to me to do it that way. It, except that it wasn't, because it was verified by the World Motorsport Council, who met weeks ago, and it's uh, just Why that it, they've only it, just announced the press it, release. Yes, but it wasn't on that press release. It wasn't on the FIA's press release, It no. didn't come through on my fax. No. Mm. 
Mm. I'm massively confused now. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Uh, some calendar changes. Oh. To a single seater series. Right. Uh, this one being Formula E. Mm. Now, a few weeks ago, I was away, and I believe you talked about Formula E, Nick. We did. Nick? Yes, we did. But I still uh, haven't heard all uh, of that show. I've only heard the bit uh, just before Still to Come where Nick was shrieking. Oh, well, that sounds quite likely. Um, no, the, this is one of these situations where um, I, John and I had a conversation prior to that um, uh, actual on-air conversation where I said, you do know they're going to cancel the Montreal event, don't you? And he said, really? Mm. So, yeah, so there's been a change of, uh, of uh, government in uh, the, the, the city of Montreal. A woman named Valerie Plante has um, uh, come into power and she's not fond of the massive spending of cash on the event which obviously um you know whilst you don't necessarily pay a uh you know a race fee to formula e you do have to pay as the city Ah. all the charge in the thing well when you say that you say that um um, this is something i really wanted to get into with uh marshall pruitt but um he's about another 15 minutes uh, away before we can go to him um if you read the very excellent uh, local newspaper article that i tweeted earlier on this week um there's a v- i, I, I want to be very serious about this because people think that uh, we either ignore or have a downer on formula e i don't that that isn't the case we covered we were the only international broadcaster who um out, outside of tv who covered the first ever formula e race and uh, unfortunately, um, that was the first and last race we did. And there's various reasons about that that I won't go into uh, now. But there is just not enough interest in it. And mm-hmm. uh, quite seriously, I want to have a discussion tonight about why that is the case. And well, I think I think let's let's just uh, and, and I think it's very important because I, I am actually as someone who has done electric racing for 35 years desperate mm. for this to succeed uh, and very positive about what's going to happen next year as far as the cars and the teams are concerned in that we're going to be getting, you know, the, a lot of work teams come in and we're going to get rid of the in race pit stop. So mm. it won't be. However, the elephant in the room is the fact that no one's watching it. And by that, I mean there's no one watching it on television. Uh, you can argue about the numbers, but effectively, in the real world of sports, that's no one's watching it. And also, no one's well, watching it at the track. And more importantly, that those who are watching it aren't paying for the tickets. Right. Let let me tell you, when uh, we'll get, we will get kicked out. Uh, sorry, we will get told off about seeing that there's no one watching it. Um, the situation is um, that the major sponsor of the Montreal E-Prix, who were uh, a hydroelectric company, uh, exercised their right to pull out of their contract because the number of people watching on television globally and the number of people at the track were less than half of what was planned or what was uh, stated it would be um 40 percent of people on television 
and less than half, just less than half of the people at the track. Local sources, according to the local press, and go and look at this. I, I you know, I have, I take no pleasure in this whatsoever, and and I'm, I'm going to come to a point in a moment um, about about this. Um, I take no pleasure in this story. Local sources say that up to 20,000 and possibly more of the 45,000 tickets um, that were quote-unquote sold were given away. Um, and it may have been even more than that. Uh, it's been called by local press a financial fiasco. Uh, Montreal uh, Electric, um, Montreal It's Electric, is a non-profit making uh oh, sorry a not-for-profit organization that was the conduit between the venue Montreal and formula e um, now just because you're not for profit doesn't mean you can't make profit it just means that you reinvest the profit into into the event um, they were given a 10 million dollar line of credit which they have blown through uh, they are telling the city that there is still a, a minimum of six and a half million that is uh, owed to Formula E uh, for a number of things. Um, I've seen a lot of chatting uh, about this and I'm worried. And I, I, I'll tell you why I'm worried, Nick, because a lot of people are talking about, well, it's not addressing this technical part of electric racing or it's not uh, addressing that part or this that and the other and that doesn't answer the question why why people aren't going to see it and why people aren't watching it on television and just putting manufacturer money isn't uh, behind it isn't going to ask to, to answer that the numbers that have been quoted by Montreal is uh, somewhere in the region of 40 million Canadian dollars for that event, 10 million of which is putting up and taking down the track. Now, Formula E were offered to race on a uh, modified version of the Ile de Gilles Villeneuve and turned it down because they didn't want to go to a, a standard track. So, tell me why people aren't watching. That's the question. Why are people not watching, Nick? Because you know, let's be really honest about this. Motorsport is a minority sport. Motorsport is a minority sport battling for eyes. And as Formula E said, they want to be, they said they made the avowed state, we want to be different. We want to pick up new people. Well, I've not seen them trying to, to um, attract those in any way, in any particular way outside of, of, of some adverts. But then you look at it. So who is, uh, who is likely to watch it? Who, is, who, who are they actually, if we're really honest about this, who is likely to watch Formula E? And the answer actually is good old-fashioned motorsport fans, good old-fashioned mm. petrol head. There is a limited number of those. Yes, you may look at the, you know, the major European countries and there are four and a half million or five million or six million people who will watch a Formula One race. But, you know, it's, it's much the same as if you want to get, you know, the, you, can, you can pull a number in a Premier, Premier League match. But if you then say, right, I want to start a new league, which is going to be sort of like the conference, but also Division One, no one's going to watch that either because it's got no no pull to it. There's no fan base. And if you're trying to attract petrol heads with something which they're not necessarily engaged in, because whilst the manufacturers are desperate to be all over um, alternative energy and electric energy. We understand why. It's a directive, a prime directive from the regulators and it's something they need to do. Is it really dragging many 
petrol heads. The people who are likely to want to buy an electric car are not, on the whole, the same demographic that's going to want to watch a motor race. It's just a kind of an incompatible thing. Unless you've got yourself on the new Tesla Model S coupes or, you're, or the hybrid you drive as a McLaren P1, you know, you're going to be much more likely your interest in hybridization because you come from a very good place, a very green place, which on the whole is not the people who are traditional motorsport fans and not the people who are going to embrace a racing series because they don't see the point of racing. Graham Goodman, and, and, editor of Daily Sports Car, is on the line with us uh, tonight. Uh, and uh, I, I'm going to bring you in on this. Uh, and before I go to Marshall Pruitt, um, I like to think, Graham, that you and I and most of our listeners are fairly fairly broad-minded when it comes to motorsport. It's a broad church. Um, Nick's made a, a reasonable point there about um, where the audience is. Unfortunately, Formula E have consistently reeled against what you and I might call traditional motorsport enthusiasts by telling us all that we're dinosaurs and this isn't for us. It's a difficult one, isn't it? So there's all sorts of things. One, is it good racing? Two, is it entertaining? Three, does it attract a team crowd? Four, does it attract a crowd uh, to the event? Now, um, when I'm asked about Formula E, and I'm asked about Formula E fairly often, it has to be said, what I generally say is that it's got two advantages um, over most traditional motorsport. It can be in a city centre, and therefore it can deliver motorsports into areas where you're can get it or motorized sports to areas yeah. where you otherwise wouldn't get it and and it formed by our learned colleague mr truswell who has attended formula e events i mm-hmm. uh, what he tells me is that uh, what he was observing at battersea park race which go now uh was and lots of families yep yeah, and lots of people who patently were not motorsport fans fence uh, because I think it's a little bit like everything else in the entertainment world, John, because uh, motorsports and Formula E and whatever else is now up against a shopping mall, a cinema, um, for to, to attract that kind of family vote uh, with their feet. It's, it's an event. It's something that you can point people towards. Is it my cup of tea? It fundamentally isn't. Um, I'm perfectly happy to put my hand up and say there have been the odd race and the odd events where there's been entertainment and there's been, um, you know, really good racing. But it's afraid, for me, the exception rather than the rule. And it's a concept as well, John, that has clearly still got to prove itself. It is in a period of rapid evolution, uh, for good and for bad. For good and for bad, by the way, in terms of the technology, we know when technology can actually get, uh, you know, a little revved up. And with the amount of factories now involved in Formula E and going to be involved in the future, and we know that that can be a poison chalice as well. It's got a lot to prove over the next two to three years. Uh, Graham, we'll come back to you uh, in uh, a, a little while. Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsGuard.com, joining us from DSC HQ uh, at the moment. Um, the... Uh, there, there will be legal action against the city of Montreal for uh, uh, getting out of their contract early. Uh, however, uh, I, I want to give you some uh, some quotes here. Um, Hydro Quebec was the event's main sponsor. The main goal of the sponsorship, uh, said their spokesman Serge Abigail, 
uh, was to reach out to a certain audience both internationally and here in Quebec. We just didn't do that. We reached 15 million viewers, 40% of the goal. Fewer people on site were expecting 90,000. There was 45. It didn't have visibility we were looking for. We had clauses that allowed us to pull out of next year's event. Um, uh, during the run-up to the recent election, it emerged that organisers had given away nearly half the uh, tickets. Montreal Gazette saying some reports suggested that was far higher than that. Um, the issue is here, Nick, and you and I know motorsport. Um, the problem is not whether it's Formula E. It's not whether it's electric or petrol. As some people say, oh, you can't do this if you don't have support. The problem is that running city centre races is expensive. You're putting up a... Uh, semi-permanent uh, circuit. Uh, you are there's a lot of infrastructure costs and there's a lot of disruption. And there's not a ready-made audience used to going there. Yeah, good point. To their sport. I mean, I think it's, yeah, you are as you say. It, they they kind of got their great thing by having the city of you know of New York in the background, but we all realise it's in a ship, they're driving around shipping containers. They got they got near these various places, which obviously seemed good for PR. But as you say, in the practical terms, it's so expensive. Think you know you can dry hire a decent racetrack for what five thousand pounds a day, perhaps ten thousand at the absolute outside. That's very different from you know, the UK. You can't. No. I think it'd be a bit more than that. It's Formula E. Anyone will get Silverstone. It doesn't need 3.2 miles, does it? You, you can run around no. the Brands Hatch Indy circuit. Um, or, actually, I'll tell you what, it'd be great. Cadwell. I'd watch, I'd watch a Formula E at Cadwell, that's for sure. Um, or the mountain. mountain. Uh, it's know, not but, a um, mountain. No, but the, serious, the serious point is... You've yeah, been yeah, to yeah, Bathurst. Right, Do you know what a mountain it'll... looks like? That's true. It would cost you a lot of money, but uh, to, to hire a trap, a lot of money would be a very few thousand pounds. You say compared to several million dollars, and and yes, it's their USP. But if you haven't got a a government that's happy to do it for the PR basis, you go to any place again where you know th- there needs to be a level of justification to an electorate, then you're going to have a massive problem. And you know, it's, there's some places where it's quite cheap to do, and um, for example, Monaco, because Monaco is building a street circuit anyway. Two weeks after that event, so that's fine. Um, but you've got other places where, you know, you, you, as you start from scratch, and certainly with Montreal, it was right in the city centre. It's incredibly expensive, and you and, and that is a, you know, it, it's a, it's a it, it, in a way, it's their USP, it's their moniker, but it's also the, a potentially huge weakness. You know, unless of course, when the manufacturers come in, they decide they're going to uh, start pumping money into events. Right, uh, we'll come back to this in a moment. That's Nick Damon. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 12, Episode. 48 uh, and it is our uh, award show night as well marshall pruitt is on the line i just want to say a quick hello to marshall Pruitt, just to prove that he is actually here from racer.com evening marshall good evening marshall good excellent don't go away because i want your views uh, and your take on this uh, whole montreal uh, formula e issue uh, when we come back from our first of our awards tonight, which Tim is what? And what are we announcing? Oh, there, we've got the music. Music's there. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we forgot to ask Graham what he was wearing. Uh, I, I think he was wearing Burberry, from what I could see. Uh, and Marshall? Marshall, what, who are you wearing tonight on our awards show? We'd like to know, on the red carpet. Well, I'm wearing an underoo top, and uh, I think, as I mentioned in our emails, 
you said pants were optional, so I'm not wearing pants. Uh, so it's just a top. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Pants, pants optional for MP then. Uh, and this is the first of our awards tonight. It who, is. Who, uh, the counting in all of the awards is uh, now complete. Excellent. And there is one category which is really, really close. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, but it's not this one. Okay. Uh, and this one is which? This is Car of the Year. Right. And the nominees... Uh, <laughs> the on. nominees for Car of the Year were... Shall I do this and then you can announce yes, the winner? Yes, you do that. Okay. So, uh, it, we, we had uh, various different categories, of course. Uh, and, oh, <laughs> you've taken them off the screen. I was just... Yes, voting is now closed. Would you like me to do this? Yes, you better. Uh, the nominees for... Graham, by the way, is wearing a 1990 Nissan Le Mans race suit that he bought from EP. Does it fit? It, it, it fits where it touches, is, is the story. Right. Uh, the nominees for Car of the Year were... Uh, the nominees for Car of the Year um, were... Yes. The Force India VJM10. That was Nick's nomination. They did the best with the least. The Cadillac DPI V.R. Uh, which just did everything in the States. That was Shea's nomination. The Lexus LC500 GT500. Uh, Johnny Palmer's uh, nomination. That did everything uh, in uh, the Japanese Super GT. And the Ford Fiesta WRC. Uh, which was my nomination, run by M Sport, which won the World Championship despite uh, barely having any support from Ford. And open the open the envelope uh, and let's tell us In who's won. In third place, oh, with ten percent of the vote, oh, the Ford Fiesta WRC. Okay, I'm quite happy with that. Yeah, carry on. In second place, Mark with twenty-four percent of the vote, right? The Force India VJM10. Really? And the winner with 56% of the vote, was... Very the good. Cadillac Ooh. DPI V.R. Marshall Pruitt, the Cadillac uh, DPI, wins the Car of the Year but from the listener vote. Does that surprise you at all in that uh, heady competition? I'm surprised that the Delara DW12 didn't win <laughs> for the first time in its seventh year of use. Well, it no, won every race of the on. year, didn't it? Uh, true. It has a perfect record for the 12 I think that is spot on. Uh, I mean, the Mercedes Grand Prix, and I'm not saying all these were necessarily in the uh, the, the voting uh, finals, but Hamilton's championship winning Mercedes was good, but not its predecessor, the Ferrari was impressive for a while, but lost its pace. I don't know if any one model, although the Toyota was impressive in NASCAR, but that you know is a, we'll call it a, a Toyota, but we know it's not really. Um, I mean, there were some impressive vehicles. Uh, I would say, love that pick, uh, spot on. It absolutely starched the uh, IMSA DPI or prototype field, but I'll also throw in just uh, since y'all are appreciating the cars on my side of the pond, uh, I want to throw in a, a big American thumbs up to our friends at for the uh, TS-050, mm. uh, mostly the post-Lamar version, but uh, let's just say that it seems to me that they really put a lot of effort to make sure that that car uh, didn't not get knocked down by Porsche on Porsche's way out of the one class. So, um, 
rapid development work that certainly paid off. So good on them, even though they didn't win the L24 or the uh, WEC P1 Championship. Yeah, and of course they did win more races than uh, than Porsche uh, this year. Nick Damon is still with us. Marshall Pruitt, uh, stay with us because I want to I want to talk uh, I want to talk Montreal with you in, in just a second. But uh, Tim, uh, first of all, you've got something more for for Nick before we let him go. Well, well, Nick uh, was basically saying that uh, Formula E is struggling because it's a new championship and new championships uh, take time to find a place and an audience. And uh, this week, Ferrari have said we need to take them seriously about their threat to quit Formula (laughs) 1. And they're going to set up a breakaway championship. Yes, and I'm going to be Pope. At the same time. And they're even even, even talking to everyone else about joining their breakaway championship and it's going to happen, and I don't even know why Sergio Marchioni makes himself look like a stupid little idiot by even saying it, because no one believes you, Sergio. No one's going to form their own independent championship. It's not going to happen. And by saying it, you make yourself look ridiculous and actually weaken your argument. It's a correct answer. <laughs> uh, anything else for Nick before we let him go? No. Right. Nick Dearman, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Nick Dearman joining us tonight. We'll uh, have uh, more from him in the new year. I want to get straight back to to Marshall Pruitt. Uh, uh, the the uh, Montreal E-Prix, we, we've had a, a little word about it. Um, part of the issue, and Alex Brown... Uh, nope, check this. Keki Murray uh, has tweeted at uh, RSL underscore studio and Specutainment to say uh, the Montreal may be, in fact, responding to the fact that Formula E isn't even on TV in Canada. The first time I ever saw a race was at my friends in the US in early December. Am I being too much of a hopeful heart and naive to say it's a new championship and we've got to give it time when, you know, people like... Uh, the hydro company have pulled out because none of none of the KPIs were hit, uh, and it, it's cost two and a half times more than it was meant to. Yes, you are being that way, but that's why we love you. Uh, there are plenty of. I'm serious. There are plenty of. And, and not just glass half full, but there are plenty of passionless folks in our sport who just love to pan things for the sake of it, and you're not one of them, so that's a good thing. Uh, how's this? We have a couple interesting points we can touch on with this specifically. Uh, good old Montreal already knows about the high pressure, high tension, and high costs of hosting a Formula One race. Uh, we know that uh, the good folks currently in charge, Liberty, the uh, uh, media rights for F1, are trying to be friendlier, but the uh, the previous regime and it was oh and we've just lost Marshall there Marshall I am going to call you back uh, in a second as we seem to have lost the connection uh, there on uh, on MP the vagaries of the internet Marshall Pruitt can you hear us now I can. I just gave out my uh, my all my bank info, so unfortunately, you guys missed that part. Um, <laughs> Very good. Anyways, not sure where uh, where I dropped off, uh, but go back about a sentence and a half. Okay. Uh, we can look and see that Montreal has known what it's been like to get squeezed by Perfect. Formula One, uh, in particular under the Bernie Ecclestone. Uh, 
dictatorial reign. It wouldn't surprise me that although this is a new mayor and a new government being installed, that they've heard the tales, known about the tales, possible that some of them were on various boards and whatnot, having been you know held over a barrel by good old Bernie and company. So I would say that's that would be a very sensible fear to begin with. But then let's also look at some other things. We have Formula E, which is a great concept. It's not much else. It has promise, but it's not really a big raging success. Uh, let's bring this into town. This circus here, boy, it's going to generate a lot of money uh, for our city and hotels and restaurants. That is not Formula E, not in any way, shape, or form. No. Formula One, yes, not Formula E. But then you also look and say, hey, do you remember the Long Beach Formula E race that came and went pretty quickly? Do you remember the Miami race that came and went pretty quickly uh formula e has already burned through a number of street city venues in north america and i would say that if i was the the brand new montreal mayor i'd look at that and go hmm that that worries me as well last very quick bit is let's bring in some indycar the, uh, some of us are still waiting to go to the Boston Grand Prix IndyCar event. Uh, tickets were sold, money, you know, all kinds of things happened. But you look at the the general malfeasance there, the lawsuits, the theft mm. from promoters, and law, um, again, lawsuits and this, that, and the other. You look at uh, Baltimore. We loved going to the Baltimore Grand Prix, ALMS and IndyCar race. Wonderful. Mayor said, we're, you know, they... The reason they gave that it wasn't returning is there was a conflict in scheduling. There's also a conflict in income. Uh, and so put all those things together, and I'm saying nothing new here, but other than the Long Beach Grand Prix and very, very few uh, street venues in North America, they just don't tend to produce much. So I would say when I read this story first, I said, you know what? If I lived in Montreal, I would be really happy because I know that our new mayor is kicking some serious butt right out of the gate for us. I mean, the issue is, as I said before you came on, MP, it's expensive to put a street race in. It doesn't matter uh, whether it is Aussie V8, whether it's British Touring Cars, whether it's Formula One, whether it's Formula E. Um, The physicality of having to move concrete blocks, close city streets... Uh, make sure that the uh, street furniture is safe or removed, uh, welding down manhole covers, etc., etc. That that's all that's all very expensive. There's no way there's no way around that. Um, the the issue that I think that we've got ourselves into here is that uh, or that Formula E has got itself into. And speaking to manufacturer representatives, the kind of money that's been asked for from sponsors is Formula One levels of money, but they're not delivering at the moment Formula One levels of attendance or indeed of global TV, uh, a global TV audience, uh, less than 50% in, in both cases for the, the Montreal, uh, the Montreal uh, race. Um, does there have to be a, a healthy dose of realism by Alexandra Gag and, and the Formula E guys? I, I mean... <laughs> Ultimately, they're going to open up the technology and the manufacturers at the moment are the only people getting anything out of this. They're ticking a very great big um, box for uh, being, uh, what's what's the word uh, I'm looking for? Relevant? Well, no, not relevant at the moment, but, the, but they're certainly being... Um, Trailblazers. The, the the word I was uh, I I think I'm I'm looking for is s- uh, v- signaling virtue, 
Um, that's all they're doing at the moment. Uh, and it's not costing them a lot of money. As the technology develops, it will cost them more money. And as technology is opened up, it will cost them more money. Um, right now, if they've been asked to put in $40 million, even that's $40 million Canadian for each of the races, um, that's an awful lot of money for three or four or five manufacturers uh, across a whole season. And, and things are going to change, aren't they? Completely. I mean, well, a I'll, no argument with any of that. Completely spot on. And again, I'm not Where... being a black rain cloud here. No, I, I, I'm be... just looking at the realities of putting on street races. I understand why F, uh, FA want to put on street races because they they want to be different, and and they've turned down the opportunity to go to the Ile de Gilles Villeneuve that that, that Montreal offered them because they don't want to be on traditional race circuits. Um, well, one of one of the reasons that folks listen to Midweek Motorsport is the warmer view of things, but also the necessary dose of reality when required. And that's what this is. Uh, I would look at this from maybe an even wider perspective and jump out of manufacturers and forward this and value that. Formula E, to me, knowing that we have... Formula One, WEC, IMSA, IndyCar, many, so many forms of racing, World Challenge. Formula E racing is, by and large, boring as hell. (laughs) There is no passion behind it in terms of a big fan base. Look online uh, and tell me where you can go and find just waves of people talking about, oh, the next E-Prix somewhere. Oh, my God. I mean, But isn't that because it's new, Marshall? Doesn't no. everything have to have... I mean, we're what, in season four, season five? I mean, we're not exactly talking about a, 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 a heritage that goes back 100 years, which is what um, ICE racing does have. People know what they like when they see it. Uh, I, didn't need, <laughs> I didn't need four or five years to figure out that I like the taste of ice cream. My body's style would suggest I'm well-versed, <laughs> and it was an instant reaction. Uh, folks who like racing or might be interested in racing, I, I would say to those who are unfamiliar with racing, they might that could be a case where it would take some time for them to warm to the concept. But if you're a general fan of the automobile and know that there is a competitive element that has been going on for more than a hundred years throughout the world, using those vehicles, some electrified, some internal combustion, whatever, uh, it's crap, mate. It's genuine crap. Not because of the drivers, not because of the teams, not because of the manufacturers, because the cars are slow, Often these are on small rinky-dink tracks, which uh, I realize that they are scaled and what they are to suit yes. the uh, the energy life within. So there are reasons for all this. It's not like someone just grossly miscalculated, came up with a bad formula, and that's why it is what it is. I get the reason, but it doesn't change the fact that you can tune in for six hours of a WEC race and for the most part in one of the four classes find something the entire time that is enthralling or NASCAR if that's your thing. Whatever it is, you tune in for this and if you've seen something else and you've seen many of these other series that we we all have a variety of loves – this just isn't one that stokes the passion. So it doesn't surprise me that a new mayor would go, er, hit the brakes. So what? so what we're seeing here, MP, ultimately, is whatever Formula E thinks about attracting a new audience, um, ultimately it's going to stand or fall on the quality of the racing. And, and those are words that have come out of my 
mouth for a very, very long time on this. And the first race I enjoyed. I've enjoyed a number of parts of races. Listen, not every single motor race and every single category is going to be exciting all the way through from from lights out to checkered flag. Um, but ultimately, Formula E, what you're seeing is has to be judged on the same criteria as any other racing, and that is whether the racing is interesting. For at least my perspective, I would just throw this back quickly to something that's more in our hemisphere and would say that Formula E is the extremely modern version of Grand Am mm-hmm. and its Daytona prototype formula. The racing itself, I mean, if you turn on a Formula E race, there are some monsters, absolute monsters in terms of driving talent and other wise uh but the cars are are slow you don't get i mean there's just it passes are usually by way of bumping and knocking people around etc etc it just isn't that wonderful so i look back to the old grand am dps and there was some phenomenal racing and you know memorable finishes and such and such but the things were slow and they were ugly and they although there were some fans the fan base was small mm. and it never really grew it lived but it never took off that's just at least what i think with formula e there's some amazing drivers again the quality of the people putting on the show uh peerless no no issue there at all just what they're having to sell what they're putting on the shelves for us to buy uh i, I just uh, it's to me it's a lukewarm thing hopefully they get to a place with new rules and new technology where the things yeah. go really quick and are really impressive We're just uh, not there now I, I i i wonder about the business model as well but that's a that's a topic for a, a whole other time marshall pruitt uh, racer.com stay with us share adam good evening are you online with us Good evening, John. I am. Excellent. Stay with us because it's now time for another winner. And we'll bring Shea in in a moment to talk with Marshall and uh, myself and Tim about some American news. But, Tim, you've got another category in our awards show as voted by the Midweek Motorsport listeners. What's next? Uh, Well, first of all, can we congratulate Shea uh, because it was her nominee that won in the last category. I don't think that matters, though, does it? It's she, not, she seems to be happy about she's it. She's doing her happy dance at the moment. I'm not even going to fade her up because I know that she's doing her happy dance at the moment. What is the next uh, category and the nominations, please? Next category is Race of the Year. Race of the Year. Yeah. Now, this was an interesting one. It was. And uh, I have to say that following you and Nick uh, waxing lyrical about one of the nominees, I did download it and, and watch it again. Uh, so the nominees are... The nominees are the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. It had everything, said Nick Damon. It had racing. It had people driving into each other. It had controversy. Uh, and you know what? I've watched it. It was very good. I've watched it again, and I think it was very good indeed. That was Nick's uh, Did you nomination. vote for it? I, 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 I'd never vote. No. Other than for mine, obviously. Carry on. A uh, second nominee was the Daytona 24 Hours. This was Shea's, uh, Shea's uh, nomination. And a race that for a, a day and a night and part of the next day uh, just had something going on all of the time. Our third category was the 24 Hours of Le Mans. The whole race was nominated by Johnny Palmer. And this year, for a number of reasons, 
Not necessarily the best reasons, was a bit of a classic, with the cars at the front of the field having technical issues and having to drive through, and the drama of wondering whether we were going to get a non-top-class victor from the P2 category. And finally, unexpected burst of violin. Yes. Uh, it is the GTR Pro race uh, as part of that uh, Le Mans 24 Hours. I'm surprised you let us have uh, two nominations for essentially the same race or different parts of the same race, but I'm There's pleased. different parts of the same race. Uh, I, I mean, I thought that uh, that uh, last few laps with the Aston Martin uh, catching and then passing and then winning uh, was very good. But the rest of Le Mans this year, it was all right. But it's not was, the best Le Mans I've ever seen. But it was about it was about endurance, about attrition, and I, and I think that's why it caught a lot of people of a certain age's um, uh, imagination. The GTE was it battle better than last year. Well, the GTE battle. Well, last year was defined by something that happened very late on. The GTE battle this year, which was my nomination, the reason that I nominated the GTE battle wasn't just for those last laps, it was because the whole race was Nippon took all the way through, Ford were in there for a while, but that battle between Corvette and Aston Martin, which has defined the GT classes at Le Mans, particularly GTE class at Le Mans, for pretty much all the time that I've been going there, at least half the time I've been going, going there for a generation, let's say, that is... is as important, I think, to our sport than the Ford-Ferrari battles were in the 1960s. Um, put us out of our misery. What's the uh, what's the results? In third place, with 16% of the vote, mm-hmm. the Formula One Azerbaijan Ooh. Grand Prix. So the two is it the two Le Mans or is it Daytona and Le Mans? Tell me what was second. In second place, with 21% of the vote. Mm-hmm was the GT Pro Battle at Le Mans. So, it's Daytona or Le Mans, the whole race from 2017 for our race of the year. And Tim's opened the envelope, I heard it. And Tim, the news is? The winner with 57% oh, of the vote. That, that, that is a mandate. That is the popular vote won. It's Le Mans 24 hours. Oh! Bad luck, Shay. You only got six percent with your nominee this time. In fa- in fairness, Shay, I mean, uh, there, there were some good races this year. Daytona, Le Mans, uh, very, very good races all the way through, weren't they? Yeah, that was Johnny's nomination, by the way. You can't win them all, but uh, no, Le Mans certainly held its own, and it was uh, an honour to be there. So I give a little golf clap to that one for uh, for Johnny. Uh, Shea Adam is on the line, so we can go through with Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com also still with us. Uh, let's go through some of the uh, uh, American uh, stories. Uh, Mike Hold could... on. Oh, no, 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 no. You people have lost your mind. What? Did anybody, nobody watch the 8500? It was the best race of the year. Uh, uh, hands down. My, my colleague Robin Miller, who has covered the Indy 500 <laughs> for 40 years looked at me afterwards and said that is the craziest Indy 500 he's ever seen. He had to watch the whole thing through his fingers because every lap seemed like it was going to be a 33-car pileup. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I, I, whoever whoever made this list, you're fired. That was crazy. Us. That was all four what's of us. In, in fairness, I listened to the last laps of the You'll Indy 500. Well, oh, I couldn't see it. I was in Germany. We'd been at the uh, Nürburgring 24, and I listened to it on, um, on IMS. 
and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I thought the guys did a great job uh, calling it. Uh, but I, I didn't see it because it wasn't on TV and in any, anywhere I could, anywhere I could watch it. I anyway. did watch it and, on TV and and. Obviously, the previous year, I'd been there in person, so it was never going to match that. Ah. Uh, but it was very exciting, and I'm surprised that nobody chose it. Mm. Uh, let's do a bit of US news. And there's been plenty again uh, this week. And in fact, some coming since we've been on uh, on the air um, uh, with uh, what's going on. Uh, I want to start with... Um, <sighs> I don't know how I feel about this story. Marshall Pruitt is with us, as is uh, Shea Adam, one of our IMSA radio uh, talent uh, for RS2. Um, Master Raceway Laguna Sega will have to get used to just seeing Laguna Sega again shortly, MP. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I mean, it's been a long run for that uh, partnership, and uh, the, the, the guys on both sides have sweated that asset very well, but it is going to come to an end. It is, and I'm going to share a story that is one that requires earmuffs a little bit later today on my uh, Week in IndyCar podcast <laughs> specifically related to this. Um, so I'll, I'll save that part. Uh, that'll You can hear that somewhere else. Um, I am happy and sad. Right. Uh, first of all, I grew up at Laguna Seca Raceway. I grew up at Sears Point Raceway. Um there are no sponsors attached, and as I told a brand representative uh, more than a decade ago who was uh, getting very heated because in our personal conversation, not in print, but in our personal conversation, I was failing to refer to the track as Master Raceway Laguna yes. Seca. I told him, insert a couple of curse words, uh, you don't get to name my childhood memories. Mm-hmm. You aren't paying to brand the track that I grew up with and what I've come to know it as, at least in our private con- personal conversations. I do know that Mazda's money was transformative for the track. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> myself included. Uh, some of us have written far too many stories in recent years about uh, financial problems, financial mismanagement, uh, you name it, going on at uh, what we will be calling Laguna Seca. Uh, on April 1st, April Fool's Day, coincidentally, um, <laughs> when this, uh, when the arrangement comes to an end at the end of uh, March 31st with Mazda. But their sponsorship, their advocacy was truly invaluable and helped get them over, uh, over the financial hump more than once. Uh, and I cannot go into all of, all of those, mm. all that backstory, but I know for a fact that Mazda was a huge piece of uh, the puzzle there. I also know that at least in speaking to a couple of folks last night from uh, the track that they a knew this was coming, but B they're they're feeling pretty happy about the opportunities they believe that are in front of them. And so none of that was in spite of Mazda or in any kind of negative way aimed at them, but just this is 17 years of a relationship. Uh, wonder what we could do for brand new and you know, in the 18th year with someone else. Uh, they've apparently had multiple inquiries over the years about uh, partnerships, naming rights, and so on, that they just simply could not act upon. So who knows if uh, Mazda's choice 
to pull that uh, motorsports sponsorship money away will end up uh, being a negative thing for the track. But the track at least felt uh, that it wouldn't be. And then speaking with Jeremy Barnes, uh, Moss's head of uh, corporate communications, who's about to leave, actually, going to go out and embark on something new. Uh, speaking with Jeremy last night, he was at uh, the, the uh, North American Operations Christmas party. Um you know, there was a feeling there that you know, they had achieved everything you could. And 17 years, <laughs> that is massive. I can think of pretty much no track, uh, arena, dome, sporting facility where the same sponsor has been there for that long. It's it's pretty, pretty amazing. But I, I would say, just back to your original question, Heidi, um, I don't know if it's going to be called something else. Uh, uh, Miggins Motorsports uh, Laguna Seca or oh who please knows? Jill Campbell if you're listening please let it be Miggins Motorsport for a day for a day just for least. a day but it's Laguna Seca brother that's where I grew up mm. that's what many of us that's the only thing we've ever known it as and although Mazda has really made a statement by how long they remained um, in my head it's always has been and always will be Laguna Seca. Thing is, if so. it goes to Miggins, as Shea has just uh, pointed out, Shea, the uh, the acronym MRLS would stay the same. Exactly, that'd be perfect. I could deal with that. <laughs> uh, let's carry on with some more American news. Uh, we've got Gain. I've got to share for this. Uh, Gainsco are back. The Yellow Submarine or the Yellow Pearl becomes Red Dragon. Gainsco back yep. with JDC Miller Motorsports. And it doesn't look like we're going to lose Banana Boat altogether because JDC running a second car, more on that in a minute. But yeah, having Gainsco back in the paddock, we knew that this was sort of being talked about from a couple months back when they expressed interest in coming back to the main series, but teaming up with another team. Ultimately, they decided to go with the team that we deemed best of the non-Cadillacs. Mm. That was their performance throughout the rest of the year. A very good partnership. I think this is going to be really good for John Church's organization. Uh, and uh, John Church and John Miller have done a great job down through the years. MP, potentially two cars then for the uh, for the JDC Miller organisation with the Gainsco Bob Stalling, uh, Bob Stalling's racing team coming in with an extra entry? We have two full-time entries confirmed. Uh, one being the uh, the new newly christened Red Dragon number ninety-nine, uh, mm. that which was effectively last year's or last season's uh, yet number eighty-five banana boat, mm. and so that will be. Uh, let's just say that the uh, banana boat, what that was in terms of the drivers, all three drivers, Misha Goikberg, uh, Chris Miller, Stephen Simpson, they will be back uh, in that car. It's just going to be the ninety-nine and. It's going to be the Red Dragon. Uh, the 85, uh, we've known that um, uh, the the son, I, I, I believe he's son of two members of the Clash, uh, Simon Trummer, will be uh, <laughs> one of the lead drivers there. That's very uh, good. Very good indeed. I'm going to steal that in commentary next year. <laughs> it, it, well, Paul, between Paul Simon and, and 
Mr. Strummer, anyways. Um, all that aside, we know that Simon's going to be in the car full season, which is great. Uh, I'm also happy to see that Robert Alon was confirmed yesterday as a full-time participant in the 85. So, again, a little bit of weird. The 85 Banana Boat, well, it's now the 99 Red Dragon, but the second entry, the new Areca 07 they bought, is going to be the 85. So, if you took a nap and missed the Gainsco stuff and show up to Daytona, you'll never know uh, that there was any little switchery going on there but good on robert he was a rolling disaster in gt daytona with lexus not a bad kid but you know like like me as a race car engineer uh sometimes the world tells you that other professions should be explored and uh he was quick like a bunny yeah in uh in pc and uh, i think we were all impressed by hey we're, this kid has so so little time in these cars very minimal experience and right away he's a rocket uh then moved to this gtd opportunity good for him but i'm glad he's coming back to a car that i think is more befitting of his driving style so happy to hear about all that we don't have the full-time driver lineup yet uh, for the endurance events i've heard of a couple of names that could be interesting one of them being an indycar driver who could be uh part of the jdc program for the naec rounds and let me just throw this back at uh at you hindy and you shay so we're used to seeing our prototype teams mostly the dpi efforts big factory stuff where hey we're going to add something we're going to grow that makes sense right factory money sponsors full pro drivers when you get a privateer independent program like john church and john miller saying hey our first foreign prototype as a uh, independent was great we're going to go buy another car because we believe we can fill it with business paying drivers or drivers who bring sponsors with them uh to put a second car in the field and it works that to me of all the news here that's the crowning achievement like cool business model is working how do you guys receive that agree 100 percent, marshall yeah. yeah yeah me too and and i and i think it's uh i'll be honest with you i think it's probably as much of a, a litmus test of how a series is doing that you get that type of entry uh, as much as it is getting the big books the big budget oems I, I I think it's really important to get those guys, get those guys involved, don't you, Shea? Oh, completely, because that's how series grow. If yeah. you can't get the privateer teams to come in and say, "Hey, look, you stand a chance against these big guys. Look at what we've created." That's where the series benefits. So I, I completely yeah. agree all around. Uh, stay with us. Shea Adam and Marshall Pruitt uh, are on the line for Series 12, Episode 48. It's Midweek Motorsport. It's our uh, award show, our Man of the Year show. Tim has got another set of results before we go to our halftime break. What's the next category, Tim? Uh, the next category uh, will be... Uh, I was just about to say, where... I did, press the, I did press the button, it just didn't play. It just takes a while, satellite delay and all that. Uh, That's very loud. It is, I've turned it down. Excellent. Uh, our next category is for Rider of the Year. Uh, right, on two wheels then, and the nominations were? Uh, the nominees were... Johnny Ray. Uh, nominated by... Nick, Nick Damon. Damon. Came second in the BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Uh, at the weekend, completely dominated World Superbikes. They didn't get very many votes in that, did they? And 
And Lewis Hampton was well down the uh, pecking order, I noticed. Anyway, carry on. Mark Marquez. Uh, was Shea's nomination, uh, Grand Prix, or uh, MotoGP rather, uh, Rider of the Year, undoubtedly. Uh, Johnny Palmer nominated Michael Dunlop. Uh, who is a man who has issued the opportunities given up, presented to him in the more traditional forms of motor bike racing to specialise on road racing. It's a very special breed of people who do that and once again had a phenomenal year on the Isle of Man, Northwest 200 and other road races. And the fourth nominee was Keenan Safoglu. Who didn't actually win a championship this year, um, which is odd for him because he normally does World Superbikes and wins it. But with a couple of injuries this year, I nominated him because of his fortitude and getting back to take the championship to the final year despite a couple of nasty injuries at the beginning and the end of the season and riding with a broken pelvis at the end of the year. And the winner is, or the winners are. In third position, with 9% of the vote... This is going to be a big victory. Michael Dunlop. Oh, right. In second position with 24% of the vote. Yeah. Poor old Johnny Ray. Oh my goodness, he's been second twice. In the same week. In the same week. Oh my goodness. And the winner with 64% of the vote. So a lot further ahead than uh, um, Mo Farrow was. Yes. It's uh, Mark Marquez. Of course it is. Mark Marquez, another one of Shea's picks. You'll be happy with that, Shea? <laughs> I'm ecstatic. She's doing the happy dance again. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport at Season 12, Episode 48. It's our award show, the Man of the Year still to come, plus the Listener's Award and more after a mid-show break. I've locked Mark in the shed, so I get to say still to come on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, mm, very interesting. Emma is working on her own uh, this evening. Uh, keep the tweets coming in. A uh, lot of lot of comments about Formula E at the moment, and it's split 50-50 uh, as to whether they are doing a good or a bad job of promoting uh, the series itself. Uh, we've still got lots of winners to come in the second half of the programme. Graham Goodwin will be back with us to discuss 2018 and beyond. The ACO releasing some details about the sporting regulations and the direction in which endurance racing in the ACO and FIA world is going into the next cycle. Marshall Pruitt, Shea Adam still with us and we'll have more US news in a moment or two's time. But we'll come back with another winner. As Series 12, Episode 48, our award show continues. On RS1. Play the jingle again, Tim. What's the next winner? Just waiting for the reverb to finish at the end of the last jingle. Yeah, sorry. I crashed that. That's, that was my fault. I took my eyes away from it to read a tweet there for a moment. Uh, what is the next... Next category is yep. the uh, non-driver of the year. Ooh, now that's very interesting. Why do you say that? I-, I thought this was an interesting set of nominees. The nominees were, yeah, Toto Wolf, uh, man at the effectively at the head of Mercedes-Benz Racing, ex-racer himself, winner of the first Hankook Dubai 24 Hours, of course, and Nick Damon's nomination. Tim Sindrick. 
uh, man uh, at the very sharp end of his game for Penske Motorsport and nominated by... Uh, that was your nomination, Shea, wasn't it? It was, because yeah. he engineered Joseph Newgarden to a championship. There you go. In IndyCar, of course. Max Mayer. Uh, Max Mayer is probably lesser known uh, for more uh, for most of you. The man behind the extraordinary, uh, once again, by Herbert Motorsport in the FIA International Endurance Series, the uh, 24-hour series by Creventic. Simon and Hodgson Simon. and Jeff Carter. Who are the leading lights in the IMSA technical team who were my nominations, along with the rest of their team, for doing just an extraordinary job of getting, in the first year of competition, all the new cars balanced for their performance. So, who was the winner? In third position, with 17%, Mm -hmm. was Tim Sindrick. In second position, with 39%. Oh, that's a lot to be second. This is the closest category we had. Really? Simon Hodgson and Jeff Carter. Right. The winners with 41%. Yeah. Was Toto Wolf. That's Nick Damon's. Uh, that's Nick Damon's nomination. There, Nick nominated him for not just the performance of the team, but the way he deals with the press, the way he makes himself available. And I, and I think in the way that he deals respect, with Nicky Lauder. Well, well, and tries to keep Nicky Lauder away from the press and the television cameras. I, I, you know, it's hard to argue with that. The guy's got motor racing running through his bones. Has he got a great team behind him? Yes, he has. But he does his job in a particular way. Uh, well done, Toto Wolf, our non-driver of the year. What's the next category, Tim, and when will we do that? Uh, we'll do uh, team of the year in about uh, ten minutes' time. Okay. Uh, thank you, Tim. Let's go back to news uh, and uh, back to our US correspondents, uh, MarshallProRacer.com uh, and Shea Adam from IMSA Radio, both joining us on the line tonight. Uh, let's rattle through a, a few bits and pieces of news. Michael Shank Racing have uh, brought on uh, uh, Tim... Uh, Tim? Have brought... <laughs> Brought on t- they haven't brought on Tim at all. They brought on Trent Hindman uh, and Kamil Legadar, uh, Le- Ledogar, to uh, their Daytona lineups. Marshall um, Trent Hindman is the go-to. Seems to be the go-to guy for quite a lot of people at the moment. And he also fits into a recent conversation of while we greatly admire the folks that BMW hires for their motorsport programs, their recent history of letting talent oh. like Trent and Maxime Martin yep. uh, go, uh, that's in the big head-scratcher department. And Trent, I am really stoked for him. He's been doing great work after the BMW relationship came to an end and seeing him as the uh, as one of the quick-like-a-bunny options for Michael Shank incredibly happy for him and I can only hope that uh, like Connor DeFilippi for example uh, who has you know been uh, tasked with a factory ride with uh, BMW team RLL uh, after his uh, initially 
what was his Porsche involvement and in grooming there. I'm hoping that Trent can uh, prove himself yet again here and hopefully get picked up by a, uh, a full factory deal in the, in the near term. And I'll also just add quickly that on the second gentleman you mentioned, I actually called the team's PR rep, Matt Cleary, and said, mm-hmm. just level with me. This is like a witness relocation thing, right? Because this cannot be a real person. I think I know of most people in our world. I've never heard of them. That name, I right, come on. I couldn't even pronounce it if I have to. This has to be someone who used to like be a, an informant for the mafia. So, And I didn't get a yes or no. So, uh, jury's still out. <laughs> Very good, uh, literally. Uh, we've got, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago, Shea, about a new set of regulations uh, for IMSA, which uh, embraced not being able to swap uh, manufacturers in the WeatherTech Championship. Um, this effectively is the WeatherTech rule. Uh, and the guys from WeatherTech Racing, Cooper McNeil, Gunnar and Alessandro Balzan, uh, first time with the new team, were out in their new mount uh, earlier uh, this week in a Ferrari 488, their third different manufacturer in less than a year. They had to go all the way to Italy just to test drive the car for a few laps. I mean, <laughs> Oh, yeah, really? Because that's such yes. a chore. Twist my arm a little bit. Yeah, it was Gunner and Cooper who flew out there. They met balls on uh, down at the Ferrari facility, got a couple of laps each behind the wheel. So at least uh, been a climatizing process to begin. Jeff Eagle, who's their fourth driver, at least for Daytona. I'm not sure if it's Gunner or Jeff who's going to be the guy left out after we leave Daytona and you're only allowed three drivers. Um, but he was not there, very familiar with the 488. From what everybody's been saying, it all went well. But yes, we're going to have to get used to seeing that 63 Scuderia Course Ferrari in the white and black that we normally see it in Le Mans. So uh, it's going to be a big change for us. And the height difference, Marshall, when you did your sports car awards this year, I was laughing hysterically yeah, because it's true. The driver changes we're going to see between Cooper and Balzon will be noteworthy. Well, I, I, how's this? I think there could be some recommendations for uh, WeatherTech to make a uh, a weatherproof sealable roof flap that just flips open, Excellent. and he can just kind of it'd be like a little water park chute that he slides in and go, I don't know, but uh, there are options there for sure. Uh, moving on to more prototype news, uh, Sebastian Saavedra and Gustavo Jakerman Marshall joining PR1 Matheson Motorsports next season. Yes, and I'm I'm stoked about this. Me too. Uh, for a couple of reasons, and again, I apologize for having to invoke this again. I can't get into everything because, as, as well as both of you know, there's I think all of us here know, um, dear listeners, many conversations that we have are uh, private and uh, help us help add color to the things we talk about, but they aren't necessarily for public consumption. Um, our friends at PR1 Matheson, they were in a bad way. They were in a very bad way Correct. after a tr- struggle-filled, failure-filled, not living up to expectation-filled 2017 season. Uh, as the lone full-time Lige JSP217 entrant in IMSA, uh, they handled the brunt of, we'll call it development work. The other way mm. of putting it was, the thing done broke, and we're out of the race, and people paid money to go around in circles or turn left and right in our car for hours on end but they can't um that 
really set them back. And there were serious concerns about whether they would continue. And this is coming up into the recent weeks. Uh, So there were a couple of options in play. One would have been the team kind of slotting in and running someone else's program. So the PR1 name, Matheson name would not have been seen. Uh, And the other, the best case scenario is exactly what has played out here mm. with uh, the the Colombian duo here. Uh, they know each other well, don't they? I mean, they've, they've worked together before, these two. Well, yeah, and I mean, I really like Sebastian Saavedra, so I keep asking why he keeps company with Gustavo Yakuman. Uh All kidding aside, <laughs> we love Gus, the good old Yak attack. But the cool part here, and this is, we'll keep an eye on this, okay? We'll, we'll kind of fold the ear on this page and and keep an eye as we get into the season. This whole thing was facilitated by Gary Peterson, owner, a Californian cat, known him for 30 plus years, owns automatic fire sprinklers. Southern California, uh, exactly what it sounds like, uh, fire sprinkler installation and service business. He's been a benevolent type racer for many years, uh, sponsored teams, uh, been a sponsor, mostly an open wheel. This is, or I would say exclusively an open wheel. This is his first foray into uh, P2, into sports cars. I've probably had three to five calls, texts, or emails from IMSA owners saying, hey, you kinda, you're kind of you in that open-wheel world, too. What do you know about this Peterson guy? Because he says he wants to do a name-whatever-it-is type of program with me in the WeatherTech Championship. And I kept getting those and kept getting those, and then I'd start getting some texts from Gary. Hey, what's the hot P2 chassis? Which one should we buy? And so all good. But then you start to hear like, well, if you're bouncing around that much and nothing's happening, this all wasn't within the last month or two, by the way. This has been going on for a while. It's great to hear that finally struck a deal and came to kind of a co – actually, I guess it's tri-entry deal between Mm. AFS, PR1, which is Bob Urgel, and Ray Matheson. Um, I'm hoping it sticks because it's needed, but Gary does have a history of, uh, let's just say that he does a lot of flirting. (laughs) Uh, uh, Marriage, long-term marriage has been his challenge, so I'm hoping that this is that for him, for Bobby Urgel, who the PR1 side, the Ray Matheson, hope that that happens. Last quick note to throw in here, and a lot of this wasn't necessarily fleshed out in the press release, but uh, Tony Calderon's involved. Uh, Tony was obviously part of the RGR effort recently in, in the WEC P2 class with uh, um, the Gonzalez's and such. So I think there's some more good news to come here, could develop into bigger things in the future. So a lot of, lot of support, legs mm. of support to this. Which always scares you that if one of them fall, you know, gets knocked out, the whole thing could come down. But we are trying to breathe life into something positive that keeps going here for them. Uh, Shade just had the news breaking whilst we were on there of a, a little bit of a change in the race direction rules. Uh, the IMSA Prototype Challenge presented by Mazda will be at the Raw. Uh, you and I uh, will be calling that in sound uh, and vision. Elliot Forbes Robinson uh, basically transitioning into a driver, observer and advisory role for the whole of IMSA, for everything. And Barfield, uh, Bob Barfield, one of my favourite people in the world, continuing to 
service race director for the WeatherTech, but taking on the prototype challenge as well. Now, this is something that was rumbling away when you, when you were at the homologation test, wasn't it? Well, and, and very much like what Marshall was saying, not all of what we say we can, not all of what we know we can say because people trust us. Yeah. I was invited into the driver's meeting where it was Bo officiating it, which ah. set it up for the rest of the year. He started off by saying, thank you, everybody, for being here. I will be your race director for 2018. This is a change. Elliot's still here. Explained everything. Um, but yes, this was something that we knew was coming. Bo Barfield, who is one of the coolest guys in the world, it's fair to say, uh, he's going to be doing this race direction, but not for the other support series. It's important to say that Kyle Novak is still going to be the uh, race director for Conti, the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, mm. and both of the Porsche GT3 Cup series uh, series that are underneath the IMS umbrella, so the Canadian and the US versions. It's giving Bo... But Todd Schneider more- still does Ferrari Challenge North America Lamborghini Super Trofeo as well, doesn't he? Yes, yes, yeah. that is correct. So basically everybody now has two if you count the Porsches together as one, everybody's got two series to look after. It makes things a lot easier. Um, And for Elliot, this is a great opportunity for him because he didn't really love being race director. He more appreciates giving his feedback, saying from a a driver's perspective. Agreed. Yeah, so... So this is a good move. A uh, couple of other things, here that was confirmed that we'd kind of heard about. Um, no surprises that Corvette are going into the season with a team, uh, a lineup that, that hasn't changed. And, and BMW have announced their IMSA drivers as well at their night of champions in Germany at the end of last week. Yeah, we already knew about Conor Filippi uh, and John Edwards, who are basically neighbors now, I think. Um, Alexander Sims does get to come back to run another year in the WeatherTech series, which I think is phenomenal news. Mm. He was super quick all year, and that's when he was still learning the tracks, got three wins in his learning year, quote-unquote, so good grief for what's going to happen next year. Uh, and the additional driver that they've brought in, not as an endurance but as a full-time, is the youngster Jesse Crone. Now, mm. we were impressed by him when he was running with Turner this year but they have given him instead of saying yeah we appreciate that you're a young driver continue to learn and grow they've handed him the keys to the M8 and said we trust you go win us a championship uh Scott Pruitt back in racing for his 50th year of racing um your your brother uh there Marshall um (laughs) (laughs) yes uh the man I dearly referred to as not my brother just because folks think that we are related because we're both Californian and born and raised within two hours of each other uh yeah spoke with him yesterday and he was really happy really fired up to know that he will be back with the uh, 3GT Lexus team for Daytona could not say if the engagement will continue beyond that in terms of uh, what he's doing in a race car, but as someone who brought that, who breathed life into that program and made that happen with uh, Paul Genelosi's 3GT operation in partnership with Lexus, uh, he will definitely be involved with Lexus. Just don't know what his racing schedule will be like. And we also learned, I spoke, spoke with Scott yesterday and uh, spoke with Sage Karam this morning who confirmed that uh, he is searching for new opportunities and uh, is hoping to be in a prototype or, I mean, he he would be happy to be in anything. But uh, as you are so fond of saying, and I have uh, helped many of us to repeat in our own conversations, uh, 
covering himself in glory was not an accusation that was made on a uh, regular clip in 2017 in sports car racing does not mean the kid lacks talent uh, or lacks the ability to be a major star. He's someone that we've seen in uh, in the past in IMSA in a Chip Ganassi Racing Ford Daytona prototype. Just, you know, did everything but make the thing levitate. He was so magical in it. But at least in the confines of GT racing, we know that of all the Christmas cards he will be receiving, he's going to be waiting a while to get one from one K-Leg from uh, the UK and mm. one A-Lally from Georgia. So, uh, but again, I, I don't, it's easy to bash the kid because he's a millennial who is darn sure that he reminds everyone he's a millennial, but uh, I've seen the kid come up through the open wheel ranks, seen him in IndyCar. Uh, this is a major talent. Just uh, don't know if, don't know if he will get a uh, another invite to the dance, but I'd hate to think uh, his his time in sports car racing is over. Uh, that's Marsha Pro for Racer.com. She Adam has been with us in this segment of Midweek Motorsport as well. It's our awards. So, Shea, thanks very much indeed. We'll be uh, listening out for your other uh, nominations. Have a great Christmas and New Year, won't you? Same to you. Thanks, Shea. Shea Adam joining us live. Uh, next up, we'll get Graham Goodwin. Uh, the editor of dailysportscar.com to join us. But before that, Tim, you have another winner as voted by the listeners to Midweek Motorsport. Marshall Pruitt staying with us uh, for this part of the programme. And the next category is Team of the Year. It's Team of the Year. The nominees were Herbert Motorsport. Uh, that was Johnny's nomination. Oh, well, that was Nick's, was it? Sorry. That was Nick Damon's uh nominee they have completely dominated and scared the opposition off the track in some cases uh, in the FIA International Endurance Series run by Creventic Wayne Taylor Racing which was Shea Adams uh, nomination this year they have completely dominated and scared the opposition off the track in some cases in the IMSA WeatherTech Championship M Sport World Rally Team uh, that was Johnny's uh, it was. Uh, Johnny's nomination. Uh, they have done an awful lot with not very much help from Ford this year. Uh, won their home rally and won the world championship as well. Well done to Malcolm and the guys up there in Cumbria. Corvette Racing. Which was my uh, nomination. Who have uh, completely dominated. No, they actually, they have... They Maybe didn't have the fastest car, but they still won the championship. They were very clever in the way they used their tactics this year and once again won all three championships in their category in the IMSA WeatherTech Championship this year. In third place, with 12% of the vote, was Corvette Racing. Oh, really? Now, this is unusual because mostly uh, where Corvette have been nominated for these awards in the past... Uh, they have, let's say, mobilised their vote quite well. Yeah, and it um, was tweeted out. They were all tweeted out. And this year, not the case. So right. is, is, has anything changed at Corvette over the last couple of years? Know. Any drivers have gone and Don't know. lost them some popularity? Mm, don't know. Carry on. In second place, with 19% of the vote, yep. the M Sport World Rally Team. Ooh. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. Hang on, I should have got my tweet set up before. And the team of the year is... 
with 58% of the vote, Wayne Taylor Racing. Really? Well, Marshall Pruitt, a very, very worthy winner of Team of the Year this year. They just did a great job, didn't they? Yeah, but it pains me to say nice things about Wayne Taylor. I mean, come on, you know? I mean, that's, that's like hazard pay right there. He's just such an insufferable little fella. Um, I mean, all kidding aside, they, look, they took what was the standard in the prototype category, which had been established by Action Express Racing, mm-hmm. uh, dominated, right? 2014, 15, 16, prototype champions, three in a row, Action Express. And guess what? Uh, Wayne Taylor Racing came in and said, yeah, we can actually do things a little bit better. The, to me, the most succinct way to uh, give context to this, Wayne Taylor Racing did such a good job at beating up on Action Express and the other teams, but uh, redefining how to be a leader, that Action Express has gone to very significant lengths, uh, changing up its driver ranks, uh, making some managerial adjustments. Um, They're going to have to come back and do things much differently uh, because simply plying their trade the same old way that got them those three consecutive titles, uh, I think WTR showed that, nope, that's no longer good enough. And the the little wild card to throw in, because I look forward to uh, this category next year, what will Roger Penske, Team Penske and Acura, uh, mm. where will they weigh in when we talk about our 2018 team champions? And will they say, hey, Wayne Taylor Racing, that was cute. Um, <laughs> now well, now it's we'll a, show you how it's really done. It's interesting you say that because it's almost as if you're looking over my shoulder onto uh, a running list that I have here. Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, uh, rejoins us. Graham, thanks for being with us from uh, DSC. Uh, HQ this evening and I, I want to talk about the Rolex 24 field for 2018 uh, with Kevin Magnussen potentially being the third active Formula 1 driver on the prototype grid um, uh, you and Marshall perfectly placed ears to the ground uh, to tell us about what excitement we can expect in, in the IMSA season opener next year no, it's going to be terrible. No, but, it's not. It's going to be awesome. It's, well, you, well, there you go. The, the thought actually occurs to me. You just mentioned exactly the first thought I was going to start with here, John, which is when was the last time we had any event at all uh, which wasn't a Formula 1 Grand Prix, which featured three current Formula 1 drivers? It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary, um, isn't it? And, and, you know, I don't know about that front, but we ain't done yet with the names in the frames. There are still a number of TBAs um, to uh, fill the, the gaps on that field. And um, have a quick, have a very careful look at the list on dailysportscar.com uh, because there is one omission. And I'm not going to tell you who it is at the moment, and it's not by accident. Oh, really? Well, I've got a, uh, I've got a hashtag breaking exclusive scoop. Uh, IMSA, IMSA <laughs> will make an exception and allow Peter Barron to enter one PC car for Nico Rosberg to do all 24 hours. So oh, he's on. Ex- see? So, but again, breaking exclusive scoop. Uh, oh, we're just, uh, Tim's just said he's, uh, they've now just said he can have his father as his co-driver, but only his father, Nico and Keki. I- 
I love it. Yes, exactly. So, Pete, you know, Pete, Pete, uh, if he's listening now, and I know he does listen sometimes, he's already on the phone, isn't he? You, you... Absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's out there now with some pombrol enamel, and uh, what we've got is it's going to be bright orange on one side and bright pink on the other. Um, it, it's an extraordinary situation, Marshall, that we have that, um, all right, um, we know the situation that the factory teams have got themselves into or out of of the FIAWEC. Although, and I'll, I'll talk to Graham about this in a, in a wee while, it, it does look like the LMP1 field um, at the WEC is going to look pretty good. But we are looking at some extraordinary teams for 2018 in the lead class in the prototype category at Daytona. And Daytona once again, Marshall, is what it hasn't been for quite some time, which is a truly international event with international repercussions uh, and international interest. It is completely ridiculous in every way, <laughs> shape, and form. In a good way. Uh, oh, yeah, it, it, but I mean it. And so I'll, I'll just try and lend a little bit of additional American context here. So... No big surprise. Lifelong fan of IndyCar racing, the Indy 500. Uh, participated in it as a crew member, reported on it, blah, blah, blah. Been to Le Mans, all kinds of great, huge events. Wonderful, love it. Each year, the entry list for Le Mans, meh, we kind of know who's coming, what's going to happen. Very few surprises. The Indy 500 used to be a great thing of, oh, who's coming, what, what secrets or surprises. Fernando Alonso this year, for example, that was massive. Uh, but for the, again, for the most part, I can tell you within one or two of the 33 entries, every car, every driver is yes. going to be on the grid. 2018 Rolex 24. <laughs> Holy crap. I keep waking up every morning just, like, waiting to see what little things are coming in about, you know, and, hey, by the way, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to be driving a this, and, uh, you know, um, uh, Wayne Rainey has decided that he needs to do this. <laughs> Nigel Mansell is coming out of retirement. I, Jackie Stewart's decided he's got, I don't know. He's driving that, the Rolex car, obviously. Yeah, so I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to play, play this up any more than is necessary, but... Uh, knowing these other marquee events, how they usually hold a greater place in terms of coolness of, oh, look at the special lineup here, special lineup there. I cannot think of a single motor racing event next year in any category, any championship that will be able to beat IMSA and our friends at Daytona International Speedway for the quality and shock value and uh, of what's coming at the Rolex 24. And I've written this once or twice. If you're a fan of motor racing, not just sports car racing, but if you're a fan, get your behind to Daytona yes. by three, three boxes of Sharpies because you are going to burn out all of them getting the autographs from – I mean, it is just fantasy camp. It's it is a true race of champions, not a made up one in some little Mickey Mouse KTM Expo <laughs> in some park somewhere. This is a real race of champions, uh, and it, I'm the only thing I'm concerned about is knowing how amazing this is going to be with Magnuson and Alonso and all these monsters. We're kind of we're almost setting ourselves up for a 2019 that might be disappointing. Well, except. Uh, Ex friend. except of course we've got Alex Zanardi coming exactly in, exactly. in 2019 gooders and oh. you know I mean uh, BMW taking the extraordinary 
uh, action of announcing something two years in advance. This is Alex Zanardi with teammates in a modified car, in a modified GT Le Mans car at Rolex in 2019. And already people are talking about it. Well, that's because, John, Alex Zanardi is literally everybody on the planet's hero who knows anything about anything. And if he's not your hero, then why not? Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's it's a fantastic story. Uh, He is amazing. Uh, It's an amazing commitment from BMW. Um, It's uh, for all the reasons. Number one, it will be competitive. Let's uh, make no mistake whatsoever. We've seen Alex drive with... Uh, Tim O'Glock and Bruno Spengler at um, the Spa 24 Hours in a, in a modified GT3 car. This takes it another level, of course, but um, uh, there's no reason at all why the man shouldn't be as competitive in everything he has, well, um, pedaled, literally, um, cranked, uh, or whatever. Yes. Um, in that the, his entire career. Fantastic stuff. I mean, we've mentioned some of the, the the big, big names, Marshall, for the Rolex next year, including Magnussen in, in Action Express. But, you know, if you scratch a little further down through the field, there's just quality everywhere. And, and when you've got teams like Jackie Chan, DC Racing, who have... Daniel Juncadella, Felix Rosencrest, Robin French, and Lance Stroll, Alex Brundle with Hope in Tung uh, in that car. You've got Lando Norris, Fernando Alonso and Philip Hansen in one of the United Autosports car. Paul DeResta almost overlooked, uh, you know, a DTM, fantastic GTM driver and, you know, Formula One driver last year. Will Ohm, uh, who a satellite. I mean, this is just... Um, uh, extraordinary in in terms of the de- not just the highlights but the depth of this field that we're going to see at the Rolex 24 that of course we'll have on RS2 IMSA radio next year right motorsports patrick long and christina nielsen well uh, yes outside uh, outside of the prototypes yes absolutely yeah, yeah. But I mean, and you can, yeah, you run down everything that's coming. It's pretty amazing. There are some things that have yet to be announced in GT Daytona that I think are going to have folks going, what? Who's going to, listen, I've got a a really serious question to ask you. There's not a huge amount of seats still to be uh, announced. And yet the spirit of Daytona, and it has gone back to the spirit of Daytona. It's not Visit Florida anymore. Cadillac DPI, we know. Who's going to be in that car? Which one again, brother? I'm sorry. So the I, I the Spirit of Daytona, the, the Cadillac TPI. Uh, well, as we've mentioned here a couple times, we uh, uh, and as I've reported, uh, Tristan Vautier, I was about to say Tristan Nunez, that'd be interesting. Mazda would be really interested to hear that news. Uh, Tristan Vautier will be leading that effort. Uh, news of who his co-driver will be is something that has yet to be reported by me. Uh, I have heard that of those that could be in the new uh, Cadillac DPI VR that uh, Spirit of Daytona Racing will use next season, uh, that Eddie Cheever the third, and I've referred to him as Eddie Cheever Jr., and I know that's confused some folks in the past, Eddie Cheever Jr., Formula One driver, 1998 Indy 500 winner, is sometimes been referred to as Eddie Cheever Jr. I have referred that Eddie Cheever's son as Eddie Cheever Jr., but I guess he technically goes by Eddie Cheever the third. I've heard he will be testing the car at the Roar. 
I have heard uh, there are some other driver uh, in an NAEC possibility type role, and I've heard uh, a couple of other names mentioned of who could be uh, who's on a, a you know possible call sheet for the NAEC, and if one of those drivers that I know of uh, will get a ends up getting the call and or is able to do it, we would have add another significant championship winning driver from 2017 to the field. So, yeah, uh, yeah pretty crazy, but also pr- uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, quick final story from you, MP, before I let you go and we do another winner tonight. Um, some sad news. Um, well, or perhaps some good news for somebody. Um, Sage Carab is on the driver market. Yeah, um, I mean, we, we touched on that a little bit earlier, but you know, I knowing that the three GT team had to convert from a fully works, fully funded by Lexus effort to a proper independently funded program. Well, we've already seen the news that Jack Hawksworth uh, has been retained and will be with the team uh, full season next year in an entry. He he will have DHH. The, uh, always outspoken uh, David Hennemeyer Hansen as his co-driver. A, I think that's a smart hire. I really do. Yep. So all good on that front, but then you say, well, what about the second car? What's happening there? News on that has not been as uh, widely presented um, by the team, at least. So uh, having spoken with Scott Pruitt, he did say that, again, he will. He knows he'll be doing Daytona. Can't say about anything after that. That leads me to believe they're not fully sure if that car is going to be an NAEC car or a full-season car or if Scott would just be in for the Rolex as uh, you know, part of a uh, full-season effort, but he's kind of the fourth driver there that i don't know sage i would say as someone who was paid to drive uh would potentially be someone falling out of that position if a uh, someone like a dhh uh, was coming along and helping with some funding uh in the second entry so i can't tell you why uh he was not retained i'm sure that many mm. folks on the internet who love using comment sections and social media <laughs> will tell us why uh but yeah so it, it will be a struggle for him, and there are way too many young drivers who either made mistakes, did not, you know, really shine when they got their shot. Chance goes away, and then they just spend the ensuing year struggling to get back to half of what they had before. Uh, I fear that, you know, that could happen for Sage. Yeah, I could yeah. see that happening. Be sad. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, 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 Tim's got a quick question before we let you go about uh, Eddie Cheever. Tim, what do you got? Eddie Cheever the third specifically. Does he race under the Italian flag or the American flag? Oh, good question. Uh, I know this is going to come as a surprise. I no longer keep my spreadsheet of which flag drivers happen to race under, so I can't say. We'll find out at uh, wherever it is we're going to see him race. Marshall, thanks for being with us tonight, mate. All the best uh, for you and the family uh, for Christmas and New Year and we'll speak to you in 2018 thank you all for putting on my favourite oh 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 no hang on kill that music Tim there's one thing tonight after this programme yesterday I got a private tour uh, private show round of the new McLaren Senna uh, down at the McLaren Technology Centre, and thanks to Andy Palmer, McLaren's Andy Palmer. It's very confusing because Aston have got an Andy Palmer and so of McLaren, but Andy Palmer at McLaren Automotive showed me around the car, and that is appropriate that that's on tonight because MP, you've just done a video documentary uh, about Ayrton Senna and his IndyCar test. 
Yeah. Um, so you're going to have to tell me how quickly I need to wrap this up, but I will try and tell you a funny little story of how this almost didn't happen. So back in, I think, August, uh, my longest-term client, Road & Track, reached out and said, hey, we just got an invite from IndyCar. Uh, they have apparently been invited by Roger Penske and Team Penske into a project. So it was kind of a third-tier invitation. Um, really, uh, really interesting because, as we soon found out, the Senate Institute uh, contacted Team Penske and said, hey, mm. December 20th, which happens to be today, will mark the 25th anniversary of Ayrton Senna's one and only IndyCar test. Wow. When, for those who are old enough to remember when it happened, and at that time, uh, good old Ayrton was on the outs with Formula One as a whole, with his McLaren team, Honda was going away. Honda's motor for twenty or for nineteen ninety two was a bit of a dud. The chassis wasn't wonderful. They didn't know whose engine they'd be using the following year. This is a three time world Hang champion. On. How much does this sound like right now? What? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> but um, it, so we had a situation where we didn't know what Senna was going to be doing. He refused to sign with McLaren until they came back with something that uh, delighted him. And so there was this period, there was this definite uh, void, this period of what is the world's most famous race car driver going to do in 1993? Well, as we'd learn afterwards, uh, with some help from Marlboro, uh, and uh, facilitated by Emerson Fittipaldi, Formula One World Champion, IndyCar driver at that time, Senna went out to the uh, the rather nondescript road course at Firebird in Arizona, just outside of Phoenix, and did a one-day IndyCar test with Team Penske, again, 25 years ago today. And it was kept completely quiet, completely silent, and news broke of it after. And that was the question. Is Senna actually going to go to IndyCar with yes. Team Penske? What we found out was, well, what Aaron Senna is going to do is use his leverage and manipulate the living heck out of everybody and uh, scared the bejesus out of uh, Bernie Ecclestone, Ron Dennis, and, and everyone else. Uh, in the end, he ended up getting a rumored $1 million per race to participate in Formula One in 93. Uh, he, you know won five races, turned in you know some all-time great drives, uh, the, the Donington event in the rain, for example. But there was this one little moment where there was a genuine question as to whether Ayrton Senna would uh, be moving to IndyCar in 1993. Well, guess who did? The reigning world champion, Nigel Mansell. But with all that said, the Senna Institute reached out to uh, Penske over the summer and said, hey, this anniversary is coming up. We'd like to do something. Uh, what do you think? Roger, being Roger, said... A, we still have the car. B, I will completely restore it. Uh, you know, perfect million oh, point restoration. Back to, it, not only just back to what it was the exact day that Senna tested the car at Firebird, but with the exact settings. Like the setup sheet, Team Penske sent me the original setup sheet from 1992. Those settings have been applied to the car. They sent me the run sheets, uh, actually the handwritten sheets by Nigel Bears for the engineer of, you know, lap 24, Senna's lap time was this, just his notes no of feedback and whatnot. All amazing. So uh, with all this said, uh, Penske and the Senna Institute then went to IndyCar and said, hey, uh, this thing's happening. Do you guys want to get in on it? And so IndyCar reached out to Road and & Track. 
Road and Track reached out to me. Next thing you know, interviews with Roger Penske, Tony Kanon, Elio Castro-Neves, some guy named Jeremy Shaw. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. He, he mentions uh, uh, Master Miata in Chump Car, apparently. <laughs> Jeremy uh, reported on the test and had a wonderful long conversation with Senna, which he told me about in the documentary. Paul Tracy opens the, the little 25-minute documentary. Um, so, MP, this- I've just tweeted it. I've tweeted okay. the... Uh, oh, I, of course, I've forgotten to put the, uh, uh, the URL in. Uh, so this was this was just a it was a blessing because I remember being fascinated by the test when it happened and getting the call and the invitation to do something was awesome. And so I'll just wrap this up quickly with so I did all the interviews in August and September oh, wow. knowing knowing that December 20th was the go live date for this little documentary, which would be my first. I've made hundreds of videos. They've just all been 10 minutes or less, three to five minutes, whatever, driver interview, technical thing, in-car, whatever. So do that. But this this was going to be my first proper, you know, mini documentaries type thing. Well, it was all dependent on one piece of footage showing up, though, and that was the original 1992 footage, which was owned by the, uh, which is owned by the uh, band network in Brazil. And uh, let's just say this email requests connected with the right people to get it uh, received no responses until last week. So something that should have taken two months to make, myself and Travis Long, who is a a friend and filmmaker and uh, IndyCar fan, we just made this in four days, meaning uh, I was up all, you know, I'm running on coffee and have been for the past couple days, but we made this documentary in four days and there are a thousand things I'd love to do better differently if we had more time, but I, I'm just happy that I got a chance to do it incredibly thankful to Penske and IndyCar and all the good folks that said, yeah, let's talk about it. And uh, so, yeah, made this. And, you know, again, 25 years ago today is when it happened. So hopefully if you get a chance, watch it. It'll, you know, if you're bored at work, knowing the holidays are here, uh, if I can make 30 minutes of your workday go by, uh, then hopefully I have done my job. Thanks, mate. I've just posted that. Have a good one. Hi to Mrs. P. Thank you, sir. Uh, Marshall Pruitt joining us uh, tonight. I've just posted that on at Specutainment. Graham Goodwin stays with us. We'll go back to him in a second for some uh, uh, Bathurst news and for some ACO news as we finish up the programme. We've got a couple more winners to get through. Uh, what's the next one, Tim? Uh, next one will be Young Driver of the Year. Oh, right, OK. Fire away. Uh, the nominees in this category were uh, Dan Tickton. Which was Johnny's... Which uh, was Nick's prediction. Oh, was it Nick, uh, uh, was it? Nomination. I apologise. He uh, did very well at Macau. He did. Uh, Colton Herter. Uh, which was Shea's prediction. Uh, uh, Shea's nominee, excuse me. Yeah, and he's off to uh, do a Formula E test in Marrakesh, I believe, with BMW. Yeah. Uh, Sasha Fenestras. That was Johnny's. That was Johnny's. Yeah. And Roman DeAngelis. That was mine. Uh, one of the standout drivers in... The uh, IMSA Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge USA by Yokohama. In third place, with 20% of the vote. Ooh, right. Roman De Angelis. Okay. In second place, with 28% of the vote. Yeah. Colton Herter. Right. Excellent. And our winner with 41% of the vote. Right, that's good. Was Dan Tictum. Was it really? Very it good. It was indeed. So that was Nick, was it? It was. 
Very good. Uh, as we're running so far behind schedule... Do you want to do another one quick? Four quickly? minutes ago, we were supposed to do our penultimate category. Yeah, sorry, I threw the centre thing in. Go uh, on, carry on. Which was the uh, listener award. Okay, listener award. Now, uh, th- there was five... Basically, for this, we asked everybody to nominate anyone you wanted. We distilled it down to five entries and then asked you to... Uh, vote on those and the nominees were nominees were Land Motorsport Billy Munger Brendan Hartley Callaway Competition and Jim McWhirter ooh that I, mean, that, I, I thought to be honest with you I thought that was a pretty hard category yes yeah and in third place right was Land Motorsport ooh right won three races on one weekend that's why they got in there second place Second place, Brendan Hartley. <gasps> really? Yes. Brendan only got second. He was my hot favourite, but go on. So he was also nominated it? in another category, Yes, though. that's true. He's nominated in Van der Leer, yes. Uh, the winner with a massive 69% of the vote. That's the biggest we've had so far, is it yes. not? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was Billy Munger. Ah, yes. Of course it was. And uh, for uh, as much of his fortitude and uh, mental and physical toughness as anything else uh, Billy Wiz is our winner of the Listener Award this year and well deserved that is uh, shall we go to Graham Goodwin we shall indeed he's been hanging on very uh, very patiently we've got some big news from Down Under yeah let's th- let's do the Down Under news first Goodness, if we will uh, we talked about the Rolex field looking great my goodness me, the start of the year next year looks absolutely fantastic. We've got the uh, the 24 at uh, the Hankook 24 at Dubai, which is looking bigger and better than ever. We've got the Rolex 24, which we've talked about, and the 12 hours, the Liquid Molly 12 hours at Bathurst, um, which everyone's coming out of the woodwork for, and, and Lounsey's going there now. Uh, the, the 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 announcements and the the kind of the, if you like some of the leaks that have been coming out uh, are just looking fabulous. I am. Incredibly jealous. I won't be there Envious. this year. Uh, jealous, not jealous, <laughs> properly. Well, we've, um, we, we've I, mentioned Ledegar earlier on, and yes. uh, Van Gisberg and, and Ledegar are paired up with Lounsey. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know that's two winners of this event in the car with a with Wyoming Motorsport in a 650s McLaren. Fabulous stuff, and you know that's you know will that, will this be the last year for the 650s McLaren, a previous winning car, of course, yeah. um, possibly, maybe not. They, uh, we're promised the uh, 720s GT3 um, for 2019, of course, but of course it won't be able to compete at Bathurst in 2019 because that's the way it works with brand new cars yeah, not being able be to do the race in February. Yes. So um, yeah, that's looking like a very strong lineup indeed. If YNA can actually uh, put put that car together um, well, and of course we're, we, had, we had some real disappointment last year for the McLaren boys. True. Um, but uh, if they can put put together a good good car, I reckon that one is looking like it's going to be very very tough to beat John. Uh, the, the whole field though is just getting better and better. The the, the supercar, the Virgin Australia supercar drivers are. Uh, doing deals, making their phone calls, uh, and there's going to be a turnout. I mean, this is an event that keeps on growing, and every year we go, oh, fantastic, fantastic. And yet, the following year, we we seem to be able to better it. I mean, it's an extraordinary field. Um, WRT Audi this year? 
Astonishing, this one. So, oddly, I was at the Audi um, Customer Sports uh, end of year Not celebration. Sure. I think my my invitation for that must have got lost in the post. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, John. I had it and completely forgot it to give it to you. But, yes. Uh, the mind. Okay. But uh, extraordinary stuff, by the way. But uh, entertained by Pierre Kaffer giving mm. me a full ball lap in, a, um, in an Audi R8 in, on the test track in full darkness. Absolutely <laughs> Fantastic. Anyway, so lead car in the bro car, Robin Freins, uh, another man doing double duty with Daytona, of course. Uh, Stuart Leonard and Dries van Ter. Stuart Leonard, the reigning uh, Blancpain Sprint champion. Uh, Dries van Ter, a uh, new Audi customer sports mm. uh, uh, factory driver for 2018 um, and the uh, reigning Le Mans GTE AM champion, of course. In another of the WRT cars, Paul Dallalana, yeah. Pedro Lamy, and Matthias Lauda. Yeah, now this is interesting because it's the first time I think that they have driven anything that's not been an Aston Martin. No, 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 no. They, if you, you, this is where you and I, this is why, when you and I do this this madness this January, February, John, it's very easy. I completely missed the same thing that you did in a conversation with Paul. They did the race last year oh, in the Mercedes. Of course they did. Of course. Yeah. And of course, as soon as you say that, I go, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. 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 But, uh, but so th- th- there's two WERT cars to um, to conjure with. Then you've got the Jack Penn guys. So Christopher Meese will be joined oh by Christopher Harter and Marcus Winkelhock in the first of their their, their cars. So a lot of people are going to be doing a lot of miles between Daytona and Bathurst. We're going to see people on on flights again, aren't we? Well, you most certainly. Well, you might. Uh, you might. Unfortunately, I won't. I'll be elsewhere. I'm afraid that weekend. Uh, the, uh, the the fixture classic clashes this year are legion. Uh, for sometimes a good reason, sometimes not. But uh, but no, we'll we'll you know I th- it's going to be a classic. I have to tell you, um, my deputy editor uh, Stephen Kilby will be. Uh, representing DSC for the first time at Bathurst. His head's going to explode. I remember um, what he was like the first time he went to uh, Fuji. His head's going to explode. I remember the first time he went to Silverstone, mate. It, it, was, it was pretty bad then. Uh, I, I don't know what it's going to be like. We have to warn the authorities. But it's look, it's a sparkling, spectacular event. If you can afford the flights, get on the plane. Yeah. Don't worry about a hotel. Just buy, buy a tent. Um, make sure you get a pretty thick blanket underneath it. But... Just get there. It is an extraordinary, extraordinary event. Yeah, and of course, we've got full live coverage of every session uh, on uh, the Radio Show Limited network of channels, and we'll have sound and vision for qualifying and the whole race uh, unencumbered by any uh, ad breaks for those of you outside of Australia. And thanks to the guys at uh, Supercar Events uh, uh, once again. Um, stand by, Graham. I'll come back to you for the uh the ACO news after this from Tim. Oh no, I've mine mine is the last thing in the show, so if you have another story for Graham, do it very, very quickly because we are out of time. Right. Um uh, quite a lot of news from the ACO, uh a lot of technical regulations, uh various things about driver license, etc. in terms of, of getting penalty points. Ultimately, the conversation has started uh, about going forward. But the really big news is, and we haven't got all the news yet, but Toyota will be back in the 18-19 series. They haven't told us with which drivers and they haven't told us how many cars yet. Uh, It'll be two cars, John, come what may. It will be two cars. They will retain all of their 
2017 drivers. But then again, Porsche have retained all of their 2017 LMP1 drivers too. It's yeah. not to, to say that they'll actually use them. We wait with bated breath, of course, to see whether or not Fernando Alonso, who we will see at the Rolex 24 Hours, will also feature in an LMP1 Toyota. I expect him to do so. Um, there's lots going on, uh, whether or not we're going to get into purer balance of performance for LMP2 cars, for instance, and the way that the technical regulations will pan out and how they will uh, basically have the equivalency for the technologies uh, that's normally aspirated turbo and hybrid powertrains for LMP1. Lots going on. But I've got one quick question for you, John. Mm. You raced at Le Mans this year. Aston Martin have got uh, their Aston Martin Festival again, haven't they? This is they the... do. So I am uh, going. I am trying very hard. One of the reasons that I did my race was so that I could potentially get some uh, opportunity uh, to do that test day, third of June, scrutineering tenth of June and eleventh of June, Wednesday, thirteenth of June, and the uh, uh, the timetable uh, is out. Um, very happy to see that Toyota are likely to come back. In the new year, when we discuss the uh, preview for the FIA WEC, we'll talk about some of the changes. But that's good news that we're all happy to report. should say, Graham, that's in amongst an awful lot of good news about the prototype category in, in WEC. Uh, I think by the look of it, we had a long chat this evening about the Rolex 24 Hours and the uh, and the IMSA prototype category. It's looking stronger and stronger. There is more good Delighted. news to come on the prototype category front from the WEC, uh, according to my sources, and perhaps not where you're expecting to see it from. Graham, thanks for joining us tonight uh, on the final show of the year, and thank you for uh, your contributions throughout 2017. We'll speak to you in 2018, mate. You. Trudy, Jess, have a great Christmas. Will do, mate. You have a cracking one with your guys too. Thanks, man. Graham Goodwin uh, joining us there uh, uh, here on uh, Midweek Motorsport. We have got a couple of minutes to wrap up the final category, which is the big one, Tim. It is the big one. It is Man of the Year. Do you want to go through the nominees? Yes, please. Oh, go on then. Do you want me to actually yes, go through we'll... the nominees? Yes, then? please. Uh, the nominees for Man of the Year were Lewis Hamilton. Yeah. What did he achieve this year? Uh, fourth world title. Wasn't it? Uh, Brendan Hartley. Did everything and won pretty much everywhere apart from Formula One, but did enough to get himself uh, a Formula One drive for next year. Started off the season at Dubai. Uh, won Le Mans, won Petit Le Mans, and got an F1 drive. Pretty decent year, I would say. Fernando Alonso. Uh, had an awful car, but entertained us lots in Formula 1. Went to IndyCar and proved that you can still have a sense of humour and a personality in Formula 1. Pierre Fillon. The president of the ACO has taken back control of endurance racing uh, starting with putting Le Mans in its rightful place at the end of the championship. And that's what we've got time for this week. <laughs> <laughs> and the voting went what? Uh, it was quite close for third place. Right. Uh, which I suppose also means it's quite close for second place. Yeah, go on. Uh, so, in third, third place mm-hmm. was Fernando Alonso. Oh, really? Right. In second place yeah. was Lewis Hamilton. 
Ooh. Right. Which means the winner... Right. ...with just over 50% of the vote... Just over. So, again, the popular vote has been won, yes? Uh, yes, it went uh, 18 for third place and 22% for right, second okay. place. Okay. Brendan Hartley. Get in! Back of the net! I'm so really our top pleased three for in yeah. uh, Man of the Year, as voted for by our listeners, were all Formula One drivers. Yes. Yes. That's fantastic stuff. And um, Brendan is a top bloke, and he has had a cracking year. And I hope he has an even better one next year. Tim, thank you for all your hard work this year. Have a great Christmas. There's a present wending its way to some presents actually wending its way to you even as we speak um, it would be remiss if I didn't thank all of our contributors not by name but they have all done a cracking job this year the responsible adults without whom none of us would be doing what we're doing uh, and of course your good selves the listeners collective one of the most proud things about what we do here on RSL uh, is the Listeners Collective. You are a fantastic resource for our partners and for us as well. And you're our friends. Thank you very much indeed for listening in 2017. Uh, have a great Christmas, New Year, whatever you whatever you celebrate at this time of year, wherever you're selling, celebrating it and with whom you're celebrating it, just have a good one. Pull the family together. Let's make it as inclusive as possible. A series 13, episode 1, will be January the 10th, 2018. But stay tuned now for a great programme. I was down at McLaren Automotive yesterday to have a look at the new centre. And tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, Torah Radio Show on the air with some news for 2018. Thanks for joining us. There's no time to explain. The Llama needs another marmalade martini. Good night, God bless. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.